Well, hello, everyone, and here we are at the brink of a long weekend. This is the sixth Line Editors Experimental Podcast, and I honestly don't know why we're still calling it experimental, because I think by this point it's kind of obvious we're doing this thing, but hey, old habits die hard, I guess. Uh, folks, this is a long weekend. We are going to be taking a bit of time off. We won't be doing much over the weekend. We'll be off on Monday. We've got a ton of great stuff to bring to you already. For now, though, here is the sixth episode. We hope you enjoy it. And have a wonderful long weekend. We'll catch you next week. Well, hey, everybody. And hello to Jen Gerson, who, by the way, Jen, for we were trying to figure out how long it had been, but we saw each other in person for yes. the first time in about six or seven years this seven. week. Seven. I think it was seven. Yeah. And for the record, you are taller than I remembered. Yes. Well, that I did not get any taller from the last time you saw me. However, I would say, so I went to a gala event and uh, they did, I did got my hair done because I don't know how yeah. to do my own hair. And because I spent a hundred dollars getting my hair done, I have now refused to take it out for three days. I'm it's now a messy bun, but I'm keeping it in in principle. You know, it's, I mentioned, you mentioned that earlier that you spent a hundred dollars on your hair. I spent $12 on my hair every two weeks, but you have to do it every two weeks where I only spend like a hundred dollars once or twice a year. There you go. What other hair care do you have to do the rest of the time? Well, I mean, you have to cut it. How often, how often do you, I mean, I remember saying to you a few videos ago, your hair was getting very, very long. I mean, I do cut it once or twice a year. Okay. Well, okay. We've, we've covered all the, uh, the hair care uh, segment of the chat. So I want to, I have something that's pissing me off and I, I want to talk about it, but Tell I kind of feel like, no, here's the thing. I think we should talk about Alberta first. All right. Like it's well, like I just wrote a column yeah, and that you it. liked it so much that you called me to tell me how much you liked it after you read it. So I'm emotionally was, supportive. I, you are emotionally supportive, but that makes me very happy and pleased because again, I wrote that column mostly on a plane ride after being sort of hungover. But anyway, um, yeah. So I, I'm not sure what I do think we should say something about the situation in Alberta for the dispatch. Uh, I've got two kind of little blurby things that I didn't really include in the column because the column was already a little over long. And that is, uh, you know, there's been a lot of bad takes um, as a result of uh, Kenny's collapse, uh, self-destruction, and all of them are kind of self-interested. Um, or what they are is they're, they're people who are projecting their own issues hmm. about conservatism writ large onto Kenny's demise. Um, whereas I think that, you know, Kenny's failure for the most part can really be summed up with the failure of leadership and interpersonal issues. Like 99 times out of hundred, when, when, a, when a leader goes down in, in Alberta and there've been 99 times and hundred, um, it really does come down to, you know, high school level, this person was mean and uh, I didn't like it and it didn't go over well with caucus and caucus lost, got angry and the person wasn't responsive. And like, it really comes to like almost HR issues, you know, it is, it is the thing most of the time. So if you're trying to inject some kind of broader narrative about conservatism or ideology into it, you know, there's not, sure there's probably a part of it that that's a factor in all of this. But I think personality is a lot more often, is a lot more often the, the, the deciding factor. So there's that. And then there's the other thing where there are people like me and, and, and Ken Buskell's also tried to make this point, um, but we've tried, we've tried to argue for years and years and years that Alberta is not an ideologically conservative province. It's sort of tribal affi uh, conservative affiliation is yeah. really just an accident of history and geography. 
And bluntly, it's, it's if anything, it's a populist province. Mm. It's an anti-elite kind of fuck central Canada. You know, if, if the main leaders of Canada had traditionally been, been conservatives, you Alberta guys would be, be raging liberals. Yeah, we'd be raging, well, we'd be raging progressives and raging yeah. leftists. Like, it, it just didn't pan out that way. Um, but whenever you try to explain that to partisans or make that argument to partisans, they look at you like you've got two heads. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, of course, of course, the homeland is, is, is true uh, blue conservative. And as a result, you just sort of consistently see them miscalculate and and misstrategize. You know what I mean? Like they don't they don't they they they're they're constantly operating under the assumption. I mean the whole the whole assumption under which uh, Kenny united the right was if I unite the right, we're gonna win. Like we're, we'll we'll win yep. because of because Alberta is a conservative province. And the only reason and we lost is because we the only divided. reason we lost is because yep. is because we split the vote. And I'm like, yeah, there was some there was some numerical strategy involved in that. But if you think that the UCP stands a pretty good chance of losing to Rachel Notley next year, eh, you're probably going to lose. Like, you know, and so it's just, it's just because, because they have this sort of baked in assumption about who Alberta Burtons are and what Alberta is, they very consistently come into this province with the wrong strategic assessment of, its, of, of, of the problems and they make bad decisions. The other issue, third issue that I would point out is a lot of Alberta conservatives are incredibly arrogant about their political skills. They think that, you know, because they've won 70, 80% in Southeast Calgary, that they are political geniuses. And I'm like, you're not. And very frequently, what you would actually find is that the, just the ground game and organization of a lot of conservative parties in the upward is very weak, like very astonishing weak. Like they can't do very basic organizational work that is very commonplace in other parts of the country, but because, you know, you've been able to put CPC on a house plant and that person would get elected, they, they, they tend to get elected. But again, that this is accident of history and geography. It's not indicative of your personal political prowess and genius. So as a result, you have people like Jason Kenney, but there are lots of other MPs and frankly, MLAs who just have massively inflated concepts of their own political abilities. See, I normally stay at Alberta politics. I find it fascinating. And I think for a Laurentian elitist, I'm pretty well versed in Alberta politics because I do find it interesting. So I know some of the players. I have okay relationships with some of the principals. Uh, but I don't pretend to be the expert in this, right? Especially at this operation. I have you. I don't need to try and be an expert about this. Like I've got I've got someone there. I'll make a couple of observations, though, uh, that, that relate to what you say. So here's the view from Toronto, which is I know what everybody in Alberta reads uh, needs right now. What you just said is something I've said before. I've said a little more bluntly. Alberta's political culture is anti-Laurentian. Yes. So if there was a yeah. big political transformation in Quebec, in Ontario, you guys would have an identity crisis. Like yeah. there would have to be this whole weird thing. And well, I like, um, and also numerically, there are lots of people who will vote NDP provincially and conservative federally. Yeah. There's a statistic. There's a statistically significant number of people who do that. And so, speaking of numerics, one of the things I find, and you've made this point before, and I, I'm going to agree with it, but I'm going to make it differently. A point you've made before is how Alberta's politics have become kind of stultified. Like it's it's a small, incestuous little group of high schoolers who have never gotten over their petty grievances, which, by the way, Ontario, like we have our own dynamic version of that. Like I'm not pretending otherwise. But one of the things I just find interesting is how how outsized Albertans think that 
Alberta is. And what I mean by that, I don't mean this dismissively because I know like, again, the view from Toronto is probably going to get me in trouble here. But I remember having this discussion once with, I won't tell, I'll tell you who it, who it was off the air. You will laugh. But I was discussing with a very famous Albertan, a household name, and they were angry about the fact that um, Ontario elected so many more people than Alberta. And it was like unfair. It was this conspiracy against Alberta. And I'm like, well, it's because more people live here. And they were like, okay, come on. But like, how many more people? And Lots I'm like, more. Well, well, I said, you could fit basically double Alberta's population into the greater Toronto area. Like, yes. I, like I, I'm, I'm overestimating Toronto's population like a little bit, but only by a couple hundred thousand Not people. a lot. Like take Alberta's population and double it. And you would beat the greater Toronto area by a couple hundred thousand people. Yeah. And this person was like, like they had like they had just become so absorbed in the Alberta political battles that when they were reminded that the entire province just in terms of population I'm not talking GDP or economic power even cultural power because Alberta is important in the federation and, and its role and it's it's outsized importance and I agree with that even from Toronto but just in terms of human beings who vote small. it was ah Our Toronto is this awful small. little thing a lot of us live here though like you know like you again you have just within the city of the 416 itself, two thirds of the province of Alberta's population. So, and the other thing too, is like that this is, you really get the sense of this when Albertans sort of, or Albertan officials travel to the United States and think that they're going to be the big shots in the United States and nobody knows who they are. Nobody cares. Like, oh, it's, like, it's, like, like, you know, like Northern Alberta Wisconsin. Is, yeah, exactly. Alberta is Northern Wisconsin. Like it's, it's, we're very small. We're a very small population. Of, of people and and you know we punch above our weight in yeah. terms of cultural influence and economics and all and that political sort of thing. Influence too. Yep. and political influence no question but we're, we're just a tiny province we're a tiny tiny subnational entity like we're not that big and and, and again this is where you get one of the other problems that i constantly see with, with um uh, albertans is the parochialism right there's just no concept of of how big the rest of north america really is and how small players we actually are in it. Um, and this is where you get a lot of the, also the, the, the separatist sentiment. We'll just start our own state. And we're like. Okay. Okay. Northern was independent Republic of North Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with that. Like, it's just, you know, we're, we're just, we just don't have the, the, the sheer population density or mass to be the players that we think we are in our own heads. And it's, it's worse actually, than that. It's actually worth, I, I agree. And again, here's the view from Toronto, which is probably going to piss some of our Albertan friends off. And for what it's worth, politically, I actually do have a streak of Alberta in me. Like yeah, one of the true. reasons I'm a bit of like a, why I do have pretty good relationships with some of the principals in Alberta is because for a Torontonian, I've got a streak of Alberta in me, just in, in my politics and my worldview. Yes. Um, the problem Alberta has, and this is again, me being unhelpfully Torontonian when I say this, is that the one thing that has allowed you to have disproportionate outsized impact is less and less valuable. Like you've mm. got, I think oil is going to be more important longer than a lot of the environmentalists. We think. got 20 to 30 years. Oh, I would, I would not be shocked if it's 40 or 50. Like, okay. I think, like, I, I think you guys have a longer runway than a, a lot of people would think. Um, but that runway ends in, if it's 20 years or if it's 50 years, it ends in the same place. And yeah. then you guys have that long to figure out how you're going to be the best Northern Wisconsin you can be. Because yeah. when, when the, when energy either runs out or stops being as useful as it is now, 
you guys are 5 million people living in the prairies. Now, in, in 50 years, you wouldn't be surprised to see if we were closer to seven, even 10 at mm-hmm. the rate of growth we're at. So like, yeah, well, I'll be 30 who knows? By then. Yeah, like, like, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. So anyway, yeah. um, what, what here is, is blurbable? What would you well, like you to hear said, me blurb? Um, you, you rejected some of the takes. Now, I'm not asking you to throw our fellow scribes under the bus, but what are some of the takes you, you didn't buy? Uh, so, I mean, the, the, the general take that the problem was that, uh, uh, how should I say this? And I make this point in, my, in the column that just came out today, but I do think that there's a sense that Central Canadians are getting very um, uh, concerned about the rise of populism generally, mm-hmm. and so they're kind of projecting their fear of populism onto what happened to Kenny. If only the populist COVID idiots or, right. or the, the idea that, the, that Kenny was ousted by ideological purists and things like that. Are you subtweeting Sean Spear here? A little bit, and and Carson Jeroma, and like that sort of thing. Well, Car- like, eh. Carson's not a Carson's in Edmonton. No, that's fair. That's true. Yeah, I that's mean, fair. He, he, Car- Carson I is. Um, I forgot that. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's um, but, uh, but, he's but, right but, now. But, he he succeeded I, me as comment section editor at the Post, but he's based in Edmonton. That's fair. I forgot all about that. But anyway, um, yeah, I I, I I'm subtweeting, and I'm also I like Sean Spear a lot. I like Carson a lot. I don't mean to be trashing trashing them. And there's there are other examples of 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 people who have used this to uh, assert their own narrative. Like, you know, the, the conservatives are out of control, Woo-hoo! you know? And, 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 you know, this great respectable uh, Kenny conservative was, was demolished by the populist wave and going like, no, he, 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 you know, it's not to say that there's none of that or that there weren't, an, there wasn't sort of a rest of element that was probably never going to be um, happy in a in in a in a highly restrictive COVID environment, yes, yeah. but there were compounding leadership failures that led up to this. And if Kenny were a stronger, more potent leader, he would have been able to handle that rest of caucus pretty easily. Bluntly, see, I find here here I'm going to give you your third blast of view from Toronto. And okay, I had told uh, Tyler Dawson, a mutual buddy of ours, he is uh, Alberta correspondent for the National Post. I think he succeeded you in that role. In fact, he's in Edmonton <laughs> too. He was on my radio show Friday morning. We were talking with him about this, where I said I became politically aware of Jason Kenny. Uh, as a political columnist uh, when I was at the National Post at the time. And he, like, I knew him as one of Harper's better ministers, right? Like, that was sort of, like, I didn't know his all of his uh, Alberta background or some of the, the original stuff he'd been doing. He was just the guy that Harper trusted to send to the really tough ministerial job. So he did ethnic community outreach for years, particularly in the 905. He was Minister of National Defense. I think after Peter McKay took that unfortunate helicopter ride, like he went in to sort of be like, wow, defense is a problem. We'd better put one of our, our best guys on there. When Kenny left Ottawa, went back to Alberta, united the parties, won a huge majority. I thought to myself, we had a rising star in Canadian conservatism. You for years have been telling me, and I just think like you had an interesting local perspective. So you and I are actually probably perfectly encapsulating that difference. Yes. Yeah. Where the Easterners who knew him for his federal service yep. and the Albertans who saw him in action locally came to very different conclusions because I think based on his federal service, he looked like one of the, the, the smarter, more competent, more deft conservatives out there. And yet you were wary to, of him. Not yeah, in a negative, sorry. No, no, I no, no. I, I like Kenny just fine. Yeah, but and I don't were, want to suggest were, otherwise. But you no, 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 no. But, 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 
but the, my skepticism was rooted in a couple of things and, and some of my skepticism proved to be totally unfounded. Like I thought he, that, I thought he underestimated just how deep the um, split between the Wild Rose and the PC actually were and what it was actually going to take to unify this party sort of heart and soul. I think you could do it technically, but like it was, you weren't gonna heal what had been at that point, like a decade of really nasty oh, factious fighting, very yeah, yeah. bitter fighting. So there was that problem. Um, you know, he didn't really win over uh, the, the the Red Tories. The Red Tories basically just left. Like they just left and never came back. Yeah. Um, and a lot of even the Wild Rose people just left and never came back. Uh, I got skeptical when I saw the way that he had handled some of the, some of his, the, 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 leadership campaign the um well, a lot of allegations of a lot of allegations yeah. around around kamikaze candidates yeah. and and membership stuff so that was like okay so this person is not playing on the up and up Allegedly. and then and then my my major issues and i was i was very unpopular for saying this at the time was that you know he's running a campaign against the ndp that makes the ndp a scapegoat for all of alberta's problems mm -hmm. which will win him the election no question but then what what was he going to do when he kicked the evil socialists out and he had to fix all of these broad macro macroeconomic problems. And like, to me, it was also, it was so interesting that he, he was running on reform 1998 platform. There was nothing original. He had nothing new to bring to the table. Like his actual UCP platform was almost word for word out of reform 1998. There was no, there was not a single goddamn new idea in that thing. And a lot of these ideas had already been tried. Like he was going to hold the the fair deal panel. The fair deal panel shit had been read, had been done in, in by Ralph Klein in the two thousands. Like, like it was all just a really really regressive, ash, and all of it just felt like some kind of nostalgic. I'm going to come in in a blue truck and bring 1999 back and like going like my dude. Like, firstly, Alberta's not that anymore. You've been gone here for too long. You still think yeah. oh, this is the Alberta of 1999, and it isn't. This is a demographically different place, and it's a much more politically complicated place than all of that. Um, and you're also and 20 years closer to the end of your main asset. Yeah, exactly. And we're 20 years closer to the end of the main asset. So running against them evil environmentalists were just out to get us. We're going to repeal the carbon tax. We're going to start a war room. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. The, the 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 socialist fault that we're in economic decline. We're gonna get the socialists out and cut the corporate taxes. Yeah, like this was like it was dude bro level politics. It was dude bro level nineteen late nineties politics, and there was absolutely a section of the conservative movement in Alberta that was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds really appealing because they they bought it. They bought into it because it was wishful goddamn thinking. That's what it was. And then within like honestly six to eight months of him being reluctant, it just became really obvious that all of these ideas were stupid as all fucking hell and they weren't working, you know, because guess what? The price of oil was not Rachel Notley's fault. And like whatever mistakes Rachel Notley made during her tenure, they, and she made a few, I think they all, everybody would, but like, you know, just, just putting a, a non-socialist at the helm was not going to fix these problems. Um, you know, uh, reducing an already low corporate tax rate didn't bring head offices back, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like the war room was a weird embarrassment that got staffed by an old PC backroom boy who couldn't, who, who, who couldn't win a nomination in Calgary Buffalo. And he was squandering millions of dollars on trying to relive his glory days by creating some kind of weird proto pro oil and gas 
like newspaper. It was bizarre, you know? And I was looking at that at the time going like, you use that money and just hire a PR firm or a GR firm internationally and do this sort of stuff. Like it was just, oh, the referendum. How many oh, years of yeah, like the stupid equalization? How many people, people explain like, no, you can have a referendum, but you can't get rid of equal. It doesn't work like that. Still held it, still passed. And guess what? Nothing's come of it. All of his belligerence towards Trudeau. What, what was the good of all of that? What, what, uh, what results did it achieve? $1 billion, $1.3 billion of taxpayer backing for the Keystone XL pipeline that's subsequently canceled by the Biden administration. And then the $1.3 billion is gone. And that's before we get to COVID. It was like a, a, a cascading series of failures. So when I hear like a bunch of people who I like, like Sean Spearson, oh, well, he was a great conservative premier who just got, you know, taken out by these crazy anti-COVID. Like, no. No, that's not what happened. That is not what happened. And that's, you know, and that's before we get into the issues around like the allegations, the fact that he was running a toxic work environment. That's before we get into the issues where like his caucus was all pissed off at him because like he was lecturing at them and not listening to them when they were like pointing out stuff to him. That's before we get into like the weird allegations where he was drinking in the middle of COVID. Like, like, it's just, I, I, no, the problem was not that Jason Kenney was not ideologically pure enough. That was yeah. not the problem. You, again, like you, like, like I said, guy from Toronto, you have the much better vantage point, but I will tell you, like I, I've repeated a few times, I have reasonably good connections in Alberta, and I was hearing a lot of this stuff from yeah. two and a half thousand kilometers away. Yeah. So if they, like, you know, there's not always fire where there's smoke, but if I can see the smoke from like two time zones away, there might yeah. be a fire worth looking at. Um, no, yeah, okay, you know what? We can move on after this, but I think this is really good. The one thing so what, what, I, am, I, what just, am I writing for the blurb? Should my blurb should just be like that? Kenny's, I mean, I know that Kenny's long. brought out a bunch of brought out a bunch of hot takes, and like we, we like a lot of the hot takers, but we think they're we think they're just misassessing the situation. Yeah, and I, I think I do think there is something to the idea that the conservative movement right now is becoming ungovernable. I actually oh, think yeah. that probably oh. is true. Probably is true, yes. But it, that doesn't mean Kenny gave it the old college try. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't think he put in the best possible effort and failed. And we go, oh, darn, those darn COVID idiot populists, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They doomed the otherwise noble effort. No, for all the reasons you said, COVID, you know, Kenny probably had the deck stacked against him by circumstances. Yeah. That doesn't mean he played the hand well. No, and and, I, and the other problem is like even with the um uh with the leadership review it was so interesting to me. It's like, mm -hmm. well, it was the it was the it was the lunatics and anti-COVID people who voted against us. Like, yeah, but you were unable to mobilize any kind of organizational support in your own favor. Why? Was he unable or he didn't see the point? Because I know a couple. He was of unable. Days... He was not able. So he was trying. No, as far as I know, no one in his caucus lifted a finger to help him. None of the original traditional. UCP organizational doyen stepped up. They all just went, hmm. Well, there were also reports in recent days of powerful non-political figures telling him it's over, man. Like kind of like he had oh, yeah. no one in his corner. He had no one in his corner by the end. But the other interesting thing in all of this is that he apparently even a few days ago was going around telling people that he had it in the bag. He had oh, like I know. 60 yeah, no, to 75%. I, I know. I yep. mean, I knew he didn't have 75%. Yeah. Like, I, 
like you're delusional. You're completely out of touch. Somebody is not telling you what the hell is going on if you thought that that was going to happen for you. Yeah. Um, one of the thoughts that occurs to me, we'll move on after this, is that I wonder if in some ways Alberta conservatives suffer from the same affliction as Canadian liberals. And I mean that in, in the federal level, which is that their entire self-identification is the ruling party. Mm-hmm. And when they are not in, in office, it blows their minds. And it yep. also, I think, often prevents federal liberals or arguably Alberta conservatives under whatever banner from being from having a realistic threat assessment of the political forces against them. Right. Because of what you were saying before about how, oh, the only reason the NDP could possibly win is because we split the vote. It couldn't be because people voted for them. Like it, it couldn't or be it because could, people Or it chose couldn't them. be because we screwed the pooch so intensely that after 40 years of one party rule that yeah. like, we, ha- we deserved to be thrown out. And I was, I was tweeting about this a few days ago. Maybe I should have saved it for a column, but I can see a similar dynamic unfolding right now among um, federal liberals, which is, first of all, and this is, this is I don't want to derail this. So I don't want to spend too much time on this. I am picking up signs of growing alarm among federal liberals. They're kind of going, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Like the, the political circumstances the liberals are in right now, this is not the terrain they want to be fighting on. Like this is, they are not built to fight in an environment where it's like plague, literal war, inflation, and economic problems. They're the good news, happy, happy, sunny ways party. That's how they've kind of formed themselves. They're not the tough decisions in hard times party. Even getting through COVID, tough times. They were the good news guys. We got vaccines. We've got CERB checks. We, you know, we're, we're all in this together. When it comes to actually making the tough decisions, a guy like Polyev is going to eat them alive. And I, I think, you know, and I, I, the, the reason I bring this up in the context of Kenny is that a lot of the liberals I'm talking to right now, they want to talk about misinformation or disinformation. They want to talk about Facebook and YouTube and Google. They want to talk about Fox News and post media and the evil right wing guys in the same way that Kenny would have wanted to talk about the socialists and the environmentalists. But what I was saying a few days ago is, to the, like to, to my liberal friends you're actually just not doing that great a job like you're doing an okay job on some on some files you're maybe even we could probably pick a couple of files you're doing a good job on there's a whole bunch of files you're just shitting the bed and every time you do that particularly when it's one of these just huge duds that's going to be a populist uh, fire lit under the canadian population like you you were flying this week and we were talking when you were in toronto we had lunch about how oh, the, the airport... airports are a disaster yeah so yes so a guy like Polyev is going to weaponize that against you. And, you know, the, the liberals out there I know, and I, I, I know and love many good liberals, they can be angry about Fox News and Post Media and diso, disinfo and misinfo as, until the cows come home. Yeah, but There's some petty. truth to that. There's a pet, but it's petty. And like the more, more attention you were spending on clean like your own, Fox News is bad. Just clean your like, own house up. Like, but, like, get, but, but my dudes inflation's running through the roof and you can't run an airport like like let's focus on the like it's almost like it's the lack of ability to prioritize um i think in this in the same context as in alberta the problem is you don't fix problems until you run out of excuses Hmm. so right now i'm looking at some polling i don't know if you saw this a few days ago we're already getting off track damn it i promised myself i wouldn't do this did you you were probably in transit flying back to calgary when this happened but there's a new poll out um 
ECOS, I think, mm-hmm. looking at voter intention federally by age group. And the mm-hmm. conservatives are winning 18 to 29. And it's not even close. And all the all, all the big brains are going, oh my goodness, what could be happening here? You idiots. Well, and the, the, the other thing that I think now, I, I don't read <clears throat> one poll is one poll, what's one poll. But one thing we have so now consistently seen, one the, the, the consistently seen with this is that uh, liberal voters are old. Liberal voters are, are not able, or they are there, they are, and that is an advantage in the short term for liberal voters because old people vote. Because old people show up, yeah. But then then they die. That's the problem. So the Liberal Party is definitely the party of like the old boomer establishment. It's the, not the, the old homeowner boomer, homeowner establishment, homeowner boomer establishment, and you know there there's a lot of young people in this country who i think are very rightly understanding themselves to be very politically disenfranchised and who are not going to go to the liberals yeah um if they're left or right so like there's a there's a divide there's a radicalization i think of 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 people who are young and them going both left but both to the left and you also see an increase in in sort of their support in the in the ndp caucus as well and yep. so i think that we are moving more and more toward a two party system um, and we will see that trend play out over the next 30 to 40 years. I think mainly what we're seeing right now, though, is I think the liberals are in strategic trouble. I don't think I'm not writing them off. They're very good politicians. Never underestimate the liberals. They're the best at politics in this country. Like in just in terms of their like political tactical abilities, the liberals are the best. But the headwinds are against them. They are not fighting on their preferred terrain. And instead of kind of going, wow, maybe we should be better and do a better job at like at, like getting airports working as, as a perfect, excellent example. They want to talk about how Facebook has radicalized people and Pierre Polyev is exploiting that. You know what? I don't make any excuses for the conservative party right now. It's flirting with a lot of dark, unpleasant shit. And I think it's bad, but the liberals aren't putting their best foot forward. And they can blame Facebook or they can try to do a better job at, you know, not having the country suck in some ways. All right. Speaking of which, aha, segue. Monkeypox. All right. That's that's a cheerful topic. Let's go. Yeah. So I am not panicked about monkeypox. And I don't want okay. any of the listeners to think I'm panicked about monkeypox. So there's an outbreak globally right now of monkeypox, mm-hmm. which is a, a derivative of smallpox, which is freaking nasty. You and I are not vaccinated for smallpox. Canadians born before 1972 are. In some provinces, it would be later. But widespread vaccination for smallpox ended decades ago, before we were born. So we have an unvaccinated population. Here's why I'm not worried about monkeypox right now. Monkeypox is very lethal. It's a nasty virus, but it's not easily transmitted. And there's an outbreak globally right now popping up in countries all over the place, including the United States, Canada, and, and some European countries. There are two possible explanations for this. One, this is something related to a high contact event where someone like for for circumstantial reasons there was an opportunity for someone who had become infected with monkeypox to infect a series of other people who have then infected a series of other people i am very mindful of of the stigma uh, that aids took on the gay community i don't want to head down that dark path but some of the evidence we're seeing now seems to be linking at least the North American outbreak to a um, to gay groups in Eastern North America, where there might have been an infected individual in close contact to others who infected others. I know the historical legacy of this stuff, and I don't want that, to. Head that, down that, that doesn't dark mean path. it any less. That doesn't make it any less uh, horrific, but it does mean that we have to be a little bit more more um, 
grounded in assessing the risk to the general population. That's Correct. All. And also, we also have to make sure to get the word out to anyone who may have been at a, a potentially high risk act uh, event to be cautious. So without wanting to stigmatize anyone, the evidence we have now, which could change, I can only underline how preliminary this is. This looks like bad luck. This looks like an yeah. individual who was accidentally infected, probably was not aware they're infected, happened to be in an environment where there was high contact with a large number of other people and the, the virus is able to transmit that way. The other possibility though, and it's the smaller possibility, is that for some reason this thing has become more transmissible, that right. it is mutated in a way that has made it more transmissible. We'll know in a couple of weeks. Like if we can smother this thing and, and keep it contained in, in these relatively small outbreaks, bullet bullet dodged. If it starts popping up and the only contact is you might have ridden on the same bus as someone, then we're in a March 2020 situation all over again. Yeah, but, but so we're let's not. Just remember that the other thing too is that we've now become so hyper aware of viral outbreaks. Like yep. these sorts of little viral outbreaks used to happen all the time and nobody paid attention to them. Like Here's, Ebola used to pop up every now and again and people- still still does you know like like you know smallpox or whatever not smallpox obviously for obvious reasons that was a dumb thing to say but like uh, we used to have little little mini outbreaks of various oh, sort of nasty illnesses like that yeah yep. all the time and we were not particularly well attuned to them covid's now made us hyper attuned yep. to to minor outbreaks so I did... this is this is a, a low probability sort of um uh, concern at this point and we shouldn't be worried about it and bluntly if it hadn't been for covid we probably wouldn't even be talking about it right now okay i know i know you're trying to talk everybody down from the brink here but the point i'm making is actually different so oh, oh sorry we have a vaccine already Oh, good. it's All not right. like March 2020. The smallpox okay. vaccine that we have no longer used, um, well, I mean, in, in, in regular use, is very effective against this. So what I wanted to do, and tell me this is not a freaking Canadian story here. I emailed the federal government. I said, what is the status of our smallpox stockpile? They got right back to me and said, we're not going to tell you. Oh, that's reasonable. Like, sure. And, Great. You know, they basically cool. said, you know, dear Matt, we, like, it was the two paragraphs of boilerplate. We are committed to the public health of Canadians, blah, blah, blah. And then let me see, you know, give me one second here. This is going to make for scintillating uh, audio on the podcast and video. Mm. Um, but I'm, I want to actually tell you, I'm going to read for you exactly. Read, read exactly what, what this country does to journalists. Let yeah, people okay. understand. Let people understand our pain. Okay, dear Matt, so they repeated the question. I'm going to read my question verbatim, okay? Okay. What is the status of Canada's stockpile of smallpox vaccine? How many doses? I've seen recent reports of additions to the stockpile, but not what the status of the stockpile actually is. Do we have hundreds of thousands, millions, enough for everybody, et cetera? And then, you know, thank you, best regards, blah, blah, blah. This is the response I get back. The Public Health Agency of Canada's National Emergency Strategic Stockpile manages and allocates supplies that provinces and territories can request in emergencies that when their own resources are insufficient, such as during infectious disease outbreaks, natural disasters, and other public health events. The purpose of NES, which is the, the National Emergency Strategic Stockpile, is to provide surge support to provinces and territories. It is not intended to replace supplies that provinces and territories hold or procure. With public health being a shared responsibility, provinces and territories are also responsible for preparing and maintaining their own supply and stockpiling capabilities. As the NES has modernized, the stockpile has focused on stockpiling strategic medical supplies that are typically not held by provinces and territories. The supplies in the NES are regularly reviewed and replenished. Okay, so let me just One, translate the, that into English. Yeah, let's translate that. First, 
provinces, 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 provinces. Yes, ask the provinces. Is, this, ask, this, the provinces. This is, ask the provinces. This is the provinces responsibility. And then responsibility. we stockpile the stuff the provinces don't have. And then the third and final paragraph, we do not disclose details concerning medical countermeasures held by Ness, including types and quantities due to security and confidentiality. Can you imagine like an answer like that? Like, I'm sorry, this is where America kills us. Oh, I know, because, but it, it, because it's, it's worse. No, no American agency can get away with an answer like that. I know, but sorry, no. it's worse. So provinces, 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 provinces. We only hold the stuff that the provinces don't have. We're not going to tell you what we have. So I go to Ministry of Health Ontario. And I'm like, hey, what's the provincial stockpile for provinces, 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 particularly my province. So first of all, they get right back to me like, who are you writing this for? And what's your story about? And I write back, just answer my question. Like, I don't know if I'm going to write anything yet, it but- It doesn't matter. It doesn't work that way. I'm asking you a question to give me the answer here. <clears throat> you ready? Mm -hmm. You ready for the government of Ontario's full response? Really? Okay, cause me pain, do it. <clears throat> Remember how the federal response was provinces, 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 provinces? Yep, good. Yeah. I hear the provinces response. Oh, yeah, I do. I, I already know. I already feel like I know what it's going to be, but Dear Matt, play it on me. Here you go. The, small fax, the smallpox vaccine is part of the federal government's emergency stockpile. It is not used routinely in provincial immunization programs. Thanks. So the, so the so feds. You need to take that answer back to the feds. Well, I'm going to do it in the dispatch. I, I went to the feds. They went provinces, 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 provinces. Sent me to the province. I tell the province, they go, we don't know. Let's talk to the feds. Feds won't tell me what's in it for security reasons. The Centers for Disease Control in the United States has a strategic small, uh, smallpox stockpile sufficient to inoculate the entire population. Does Canada? Maybe. Do we have enough for 10,000? And this is, this is the thing that I think that people, people, people I need know. to understand. In Canada, we cannot get basic answers to questions about how our government functions in ways that, and this is why, if you ever have an opportunity as a Canadian journalist to talk to an American law enforcement Take the opportunity, agent, they're better. You'll, get, you'll, they're, you'll learn more. And like, and you can like get anyone from the FBI on the phone. They'll be like, sure, we'll tell you all about that crime. No problem. Like, they're amazing. They're amazing. Or like any like sheriff's department. Hey, can you tell me about this? Yeah, yeah. happy to help. No you problem. Want the you talk, go talk to the CDC. Sure, we'll give you all the. Do you need some tables? We can give you some tables. Like, here you go. Like, oh, I've had so Pentagon guys say, Would you like photos? Pentagon guys tell me, Hey, sure, we'll answer that question. Here's a bunch of photos as well. Public domain, use them. Thanks for your request. How are you all doing up there in Canada? Like, it's a completely. It's like, it's, it's amazing. It's like, I'm just like, every time I encounter an American anybody, I'm just like, You're so beautiful. <laughs> Thank it's you. just a beautiful country. I just love you so much. Land and then of the you free, go to home of the brave. anybody, anybody in Canada from like, hey, can I talk to someone from the local municipal, like whatever about the no. pothole situation? No. 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 Don't give ask. you a non-answer. You please send your request in writing to this like official third-party agency who will get back to you with a non-answer in a week. It's fucking awful. Two this paragraphs of awful. boilerplate. Two paragraphs of boilerplate before telling me they're not going to answer my question. Jesus Christ. So okay, that's fine. basically, let's just, let's just shit on them. It's fine. So, I mean, again, it is my expectation that monkeypox is not going to be a problem in Canada. 
because yeah, yeah. the evidence thus far suggests this is an outbreak that is localized and probably involved direct contact between individuals. But it strikes me as a legitimate question to ask what our smallpox vaccination situation is. It is that such strikes a, me as a very reasonable, question too. basic question for a journalist to ask. I'm not asking for the battle plan. I'm not asking for contingencies. I'm saying how many doses of vaccine do we have? And they won't tell me. Okay. okay um, that's so that's, that's going to be my main blurb. Um, uh, and then Huawei. Do we want to talk about Huawei? Well, you know what? I think we've talked long enough on the video. I am going to do right. a Huawei blurb, but to be honest, it's going to be an addendum blurb. Like it'll be a separate blurb, but it's going to be an addendum blurb to this one. And okay. what I'm going to say is that, you know, the idea that the, the government of Canada basically just told me, trust us, right? Don't worry about it. We don't want to talk about it. It's, it's classified. We spent four years thinking about whether we would do the blindingly obvious thing that of course we eventually in the end got around to doing which was manning huawei so fuck you i don't Why would trust, we trust you? you i don't trust, trust you? you i'm sorry public That's health absurd. canada you, you don't you don't have the right to ask from for me to take your word for it nope and apparently i don't have the right to request specific information so there's that. Uh, we'll have another blurb as well uh, on. Um, do we want to do something on airports? Do you want to do something on airports? Do do you? No, I mean I was I, to be honest with you, I, it was fine. I flew back from from Pearson uh, domestic flight, and it was not a big deal. See, I flew a couple of months ago. Before, I mean, the last time I I flew was almost what day is it? Basically, almost exactly two months ago. I flew back to Toronto after vacation, and it was fine. No problems yeah, but at all. but I have heard that there are nightmare international. Oh no! Like flying yeah. internationally at this point is an absolute goddamn shit show. Well, we were flying from the U.S., but I, do does that is that do we get routed to the international terminal or are we like sent to the domestic? Terminal? I don't know. Neither do I. You I know, know I know that Pearson has an internal uh, customs U.S. customs agent, so maybe it was treated as a domestic flight. Yeah, I honestly don't know, but we had no problems flying out at all. Okay, there so were there were some lineups, but nothing that jumped out at us. So right, let's put maybe, a pin maybe, on that for now. Let's put we got a, a media dispatch here. Like this it's is a media dispatch. Okay. So I mean, I'll just mention... do. I'll just. Do, I'm not going to do a huge thing on Kenny though, because I mean, I've already kind of just done a three thousand word behemoth on it. I get the feeling as you sink your teeth into this, you're going to find it becoming longer than you expect. That's been known to happen. Yeah. So my main one will be: I don't trust you on monkeypox, you fucks. Uh, and then I'll do a Huawei addendum to that, which is, this is why I don't trust you on monkeypox, you fucks. Uh, I don't trust you on monkeypox, you fucks, should really just be your Twitter bio. That's great. Like the entirety of it? At yeah, Macaroni, like I don't, I don't, I don't trust you on monkeypox, you fucks. I just love that sentence. It's great. It's a good sentence. Really mm -hmm. rolls off the tongue. And it's so applicable to mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of situations in life. Uh, we have another blurb coming in as well on um, divisions in NATO, not actual combat divisions, but like political fissures opening up mm -hmm. on uh, Ukraine. So that'll be good. I don't know. I mean, we're also heading into a long weekend. So we're going to take Monday off. I think we are sitting on a ton of content right now. So much content. Yeah, we had a lot of stuff to publish, but not a ton of it is that urgent to publish. So I think next week uh, will be we do have to do the, the one thing on S7. We got to do that next week. Okay, well, well we can do that Tuesday. We'll take Monday yeah. off. Uh, I'm writing my big metaverse think piece, um, and I'm also going to write on gun control soon. I'm, I'm, I think I told you at lunch about the gun control thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to write that. It's just, 
I don't trust you on monkeypox or gun control, you fuck. I don't trust you on monkeypox or gun control, you fucks. I don't trust you on guns or monkeypox, you fucks. At Matt Kearney. Click here for the website. Okay, that's all, that's all I got. Um, anything else? That's it. That was a fun dispatch video. That was fun. Podcast. All right. Okay, when do you want to uh, put this out? Uh, probably tomorrow. You want to do it tomorrow morning? Yeah. Oh, you have a, you have a thing tonight. No, I have it. What what thing do I have tonight? You have a dinner, I thought. No, I've got dinner tomorrow night. That got okay. moved. Uh, okay. But I do have I do have power in politics in like half an hour. So. So well, we already have NATO, Ukraine. I'll do monkeypox, you fucks, and um. I'll do Kenny. Huawei Something right on, now. more on Kenny. So we'll be fine. I mean, but we what, might be able to get it out tonight. It's just that I, I I fear that my uh, my dispatch will take a little while to get together tonight. You know, to be honest with you, I'm going to make, I'm, I'm going to bet you, in fact, that you're going to do it much faster than you think. And it's gonna I'm going to get going. I'm going to get all ragey. Yeah. No, you, you've been, you've been keyed up for a couple of days on this one. Also, can okay. I, can I throw you just before we sign off? Can I slightly throw you under a bus, but purely in affectionate and amusing terms? What did I do now? So you have written a series of columns about like, come West young man, right? Like flee Toronto. Flee, and... run. So I, when I, we had lunch. You'd been in Toronto, what, like 11 hours? Yeah. You already had the Toronto strut going. You were dressed Toronto. You were talking Toronto. You were eyeballing the it's local like, real estate. Like I, it's it's it is funny how subconsciously when I when I land in Toronto, I start I like I get my Toronto vibe and then I yeah. come back to Alberta and all of a sudden my like my, my my voice gets a little more twangy and I get a little more like I don't fucking care. Like it's it and it I don't do it consciously. It literally is just when I'm in the space, yeah. like it's just I just i'm a chameleon right like i just reflect it yeah you land back at calgary airport and by the time you've gotten back to your horse tied up outside the <laughs> airport you're full alberta mode again. full alberta again but like, like you, you know but you, but we had like you arrived we had lunch the next day and delicious lunch by the way i've been thinking about that ever since it was really yeah, good mom's great eh? Uh, pink guy chicken love that pink guy i've chicken. been i'd been there before but for a party i hadn't just yeah. had the whole menu in the front spring of me. i've never had spring rolls spring anywhere rolls. including in asia better than the queen the bad tie though was so excellent good. so oh, they're the best. um but you were all like you had been in toronto like 15 hours when we had lunch and you were ready to move in like it was like you were just like center of the universe i'm back and then like you kind of get back to calgary and you're like Bleh! you gotta shake your head and be like what happened <laughs> But you know, but you don't know why also it's because um, we've had an incredibly brutal, cold, slow spring. So everything like my, the trees, the trees outside my house are still not fully like there's still not leaves on them. So I'm sitting here going like, I'm going to get for a season, a growing season of four months. And I'm really pissed off about it. And then I go back to Toronto and all of a sudden the floxes and the trees are in bloom and everything is lush and fantastic. And I'm like, but but the problem is that like I'm gonna be back again out in July and then I'm gonna be like oh thank God I don't live in this shithole this is the worst and then I'm gonna come back to Alberta in my lake community where it's gonna be a perfect sort of non-humid thirty degrees and everything is going to be glorious uh, and then I'll not regret it in the least but you I, you you got me to Toronto got me at a particularly weak moment mid May is good in Toronto. What I'm going to, I'm just going to, the next time you write one of your columns, like everybody should move to Calgary because Toronto sucks. I'm just going to remember you with your little strut walking down Queen Street as we went back to my car. And you're like, I was born to rule this town. If only no. for a few hours, we had you. 
uh, it, for a few hours you had me, and and I'll just I'll just remind you again that the maple leaves are a thing. What do you mean? Oh yeah, they are. But I mean, hey, next season Stanley <laughs> Cup. I'm planning the parade already. But yeah, right, you you huh. can't hurt me on this. Like I <laughs> I've been hurt so many times by the maple leaves that I can't be hurt anymore. And like, this is fate So for you me. think, you think, you think, you think that's true, but I'm not I'm, sure that it's true. I'm Job. Like it does, like the, the Maple Leafs cannot fuck my life up enough for me to change my allegiance here. Now for what it's worth though, I do like your flames. Uh, Battle of Alberta, I would be rooting for Calgary, but I, I have no problem once the Leafs are out of the playoffs, shifting my affiliation to the flames. I mean, I, I don't have any objection to the Oilers either, but it's kind of like, the flames have been my default when toronto's out i'll cheer for you team so go flames and next year it's all leafs so i believe go leafs go on that note we'll let it go okay bye-bye well like i said that is it we hope you have a wonderful long weekend that was the sixth episode of the lines experimental podcast i'm matt gurney for jen gerson happy victoria day have a great long weekend and we'll talk to you soon